0: Game 7 is up on us, we have wrestling turns everywhere, and this is the Branding World Podcast on this Monday, May 29th, 2023. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gentlemen, ladies, happy Memorial Day to everybody out there, of course, we celebrate those that have given the freedom to our country. But folks, today, today, we have one of the most improbable Name 7s, arguably, in the history of the NBA. This has been one of the most wild, unpredictable, surprising NBA playoffs in recent memory of the rating chart. We also have to dive into all things WWE Night of Champions A couple of things before we get started. Number one, I appreciate the great Josh Unger from Voltage Live for filling in for me last Thursday. I apologize for not being here last Tuesday or last Thursday. Had some family issues I had to take care of. Uh, But we are back here on this loaded, loaded Memorial Day. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at BrandonLewis underscore 7. You can follow the show at Real underscore b World. You can check us out wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be audio on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you get your audio podcasts, as well as the video version of the Brands World Podcast on the Brands World YouTube channel. All of that is linked in either the, the audio or video description below. But when we were last with you, that would be last Thursday, uh, which I believe would have been May 18th. A lot of things have changed in the NBA landscape. I had predicted that we would be going into Game 5 with the Lakers' Nuggets 2-2. Obviously, that did not happen. Uh, Denver ended up winning the series on a 4-0 sweep. Very shocking to me uh, that Denver would sweep the Lakers. I thought the Lakers would just come out uh, in game four and steamroll Denver, which they did in the first half. But as we talked about, LeBron obviously had a great game, put 48 minutes with a broken foot, was absolutely unbelievable, had nearly a 40-point triple-double, did everything he could at age 38. What he's done at age 38 is unprecedented. And I do. I think the retirement talk, by the way, is more of a marketing ploy. I don't want to hear any talk of the retirement. LeBron's going to be back next year in the purple and gold. And this Lakers team is constructed very well to at least make a postseason run. Not sure about another finals run, but again, just constructed well enough uh, to make a playoff run, I believe. Denver, I doubted Denver all year. Uh, I've doubted Nicole Jokic. I still don't know if he's the best player on the team. Listen, Jamal Murray, to me, should have won the Western Conference Finals MVP, which to me is a Mickey Mouse MVP anyway. I talk about the MVP regular season award being Mickey Mouse. The Western Conference Finals MVP is Mickey Mouse. To me, the only series that truly counts and where we are going to see if Nikola Jokic is truly what everybody else said before the postseason and that is potentially the best player in the world. is room to go on the big stage, the stage, the NBA Finals and put up numbers against either Miami or Boston. We'll get to that incredible series in a second. Um, but Denver is deep. You know, Michael Porter Jr. has played his part. KCP has played his part. So their, you know, supporting cast has helped Jokic and Jamal Murray when they have had off nights. They have shot incredibly well, which I thought was the difference in three out of the four games was, you know, the Lakers would play very well in the first half. Denver, though, would either – just kind of hang in there or even be tied or have the lead with the Lakers and then their fresh bodies over the Lakers aging old bodies uh, would take over in the second half. I thought Anthony Davis at times was very aggressive against Nicole Jokic. I thought he could have been way more aggressive at times, but ultimately, you know, I thought LeBron settled for a lot of shots at age 38 though. It kind of makes sense. He cannot drive to the basket. As consistently as he could, and the whole Lakers series can be summed up by that great play Jamal Murray made at the end of Game Four. I initially thought it was a foul when you look at the replay, though you can clearly see it. Again, being objective, you guys know I I wanted a Lakers Celtics or Lakers Heat NBA Finals. Being objective, that was a great play by Jamal Murray, who again I thought was the best play in the series. I thought he won Denver Game 2 and Game 3 with that tremendous performance uh, in Game 3. And obviously, you know, the last time we really saw Jamal Murray in playoff action was the NBA bubble, which as we talked about may not be as Mickey Mouse as we originally thought uh, since this is a rematch of the NBA bubble in the Conference Finals. But Denver came out healthier, experienced, and ready to prove the whole world wrong Pundits like me, who thought they had no chance to get by Phoenix. I thought they would roll by Minnesota pretty easily. I thought Phoenix would win in six. Uh, and then I thought Wakers, or then I actually thought Warrior Sons, Golden State moves on to play Milwaukee in the finals. That obviously did not happen. Uh, but kudos to Denver. Um, I think that you know, every city and, and every team in every city deserves a championship. Obviously, we know the Broncos' success uh, in football. Now, Colorado made one World Series. They've been a disaster for years, though I have believed, as I always said, teams like the Orlando Magic, teams like, you know, the Minnesota Timberwolves, teams like the Denver Nuggets, teams like the Sacramento Kings, teams like, you know, I don't know, the Oakland A's, um, teams like the Cincinnati Reds, teams like the Pittsburgh Pirates. These teams that have either won one championship a long time ago or teams that have never won a championship, the Cleveland Browns, the Detroit Lions, I believe every franchise at some point in history will win a championship and the city deserves a championship because Denver fans have felt what it's like to win a football championship. They don't know what it's like to win an NBA championship. So especially if Boston, who, you know, it, it was down 3-0. They forced Game 7. If Boston comes back and defeats Miami tonight in Game 7, I'll be rooting for Denver in that series. I think most of the country will be rooting for Denver. If it's Denver-Miami, it's going to be very interesting because Miami's story, even though the Heat have won it a, on a championship Miami's story as being the only eight-seed history to win a championship to being eliminated by the Chicago Bulls in the second game of the play-in tournament, it would be the best championship story potentially in the history of the National Basketball Association, way better than the Cavs' 2016 NBA Championship, which we all know is historic. The Cavs' Golden State Finals has been easily the best NBA finals uh, in the last decade. It's the last time we had a game seven. It was really the last closest series in the finals outside of those heat, you know, Spurs series in the early 2010s. So, We haven't had a great NBA Finals in a while. Obviously, Golden State killing Cleveland. Toronto winning that championship, which they did deserve. Though, obviously, Golden State was injured. But as we talked about a lot, injuries dictate who wins the NBA championship every single year. You can make an argument if Phoenix had Chris Paul. The Suns could be in the NBA Finals right now. I mean, it's just the the way it is. Uh, By the way, Miami's been doing this. The whole series without Tyler Hero and some of their guys, um, Victor Oladipo as well. So it's been absolutely amazing to watch. I give full credit to the Denver Nuggets. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, KCP, Michael Porter. They are a very good team. And how can Mike Malone, who was an assistant for a long time and grinding his wheels with Denver, finally capture championship gold? We'll find that out on Thursday. Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals, which never in a million years would I have thought we would get to game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals. I predicted Boston to win this series in five games. I thought the Celtics were just better, and I thought Miami had run out of gas. Then I watched game one, and I came on here the next day and said, Miami's going to win this series in six games. I said, when we go back, you know, the next podcast, is was going to be Tuesday. Miami was going to be up 2-1. to one. They were actually up 3-0. And at that point, even though I did not record a podcast last Tuesday, I thought Miami was going to sweep Boston. That was it. I thought Miami took Boston's art in Game 3. Boston didn't even show up. Heat were going to roll. We were going to get Heat Nuggets. And the NBA was going to have to figure out if they were going to have to move up the NBA Finals. Instead, the Heat and the Celtics have now gone through a grueling seven game series where game four and game five were Boston blocks. We expected game six to be Nick and Tuck, like it was, though Boston downrated the whole game. This is where game seven gets really tricky because you can make an argument tonight for both teams. Because in game six, Boston dominated the whole game. Jason Tatum had a very quiet 30-plus game. I thought Jalen Brown came out and set the tone very early with his shot making. Marcus Smart gave you an incredible night of scoring from Marcus Smart. Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo were abysmal through three and seven eighths quarters. And yet, Max Struess. Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent, four, count them, one, two, three, four, Miami Heat players, all by the way, undrafted, carried the Miami Heat team for three and seven eighths quarters and kept the Heat within striking distance, and Duncan Robinson, which I believe the moment, by the way, was a little bit too big for him, had two threes. Now, he's a young kid. I'm not going to bang on him yet. But he had two threes that were wide open to give the Heat the lead late in the quarter. Dinged him. Boston had a two-point lead going into the final minutes. Marcus Smart missed a free throw. kept the opening for the Heat. Jimmy Butler gets fouled by Al Horford, which is absolutely a foul. Al Horford should have just let Jimmy Butler take that horrible ball-weight shot. Because I believe at this point, Jimmy Butler was like 3 of 20 from the field. It was one of his worst shooting games ever. Cashed in three free throws. And at that point, we all thought, okay, Heat, Nuggets, NBA Finals. The game played out exactly like I thought. Boston would play very well. I thought Jason Tatum would have an okay game, a Jason tatum white game, Or again, I still don't think Jason Tatum has the genes in him and this, you know, being a 6th, 7th NBA season, to be that guy. I thought Jalen Brown was that guy on the court Saturday night. And then they give the ball to Marcus Smart, and Marcus Smart over two people almost puts it in and rattles in and out. Perfect bounce to Derek White, who Miami had struggled on the offensive glass all night long. Derek White lays it in, and now Miami has to go where they did not want to go back to. That being the TD Garden in Boston, a hostile environment, as the Boston Celtics try to be the first ever NBA team to come back down 0-3. They are only the fourth ever NBA team to force a Game 7. They went through it last night on TNT, or excuse me, on on Saturday night. The difference being all three of the previous teams had to win Game 7 on the road. Boston has to win it at home in that raucous environment. We all know the New England Patriots had the greatest comeback in NFL history. Being on 28 to 3 in the Super Bowl. We know the Red Sox have the greatest comeback in the history of postseason baseball. Down 3-0 to the Yankees in the AOCS. One four straight. The Boston Celtics. I believe now. And again, I've been wrong about most of the NBA playoffs. I've been wrong about this series. I think I think we all kind of had the same thought, though, believe it or not. Boston was going to win. Then we saw Miami dominate. Then we all thought Miami was going to sweep them. And now here we are, Game 7. Now I think it's the Boston Celtics. Before the game last night, obviously didn't record a podcast, but I had said to myself, this is Miami's Game 7. And a lot of people were echoing that sentiment. Could you imagine if that was the way Game 7 ended? Um, I think it's very plausible tonight's Game 7 is a blowout in favor of the Boston Celtics. And I got to say, if you're Denver, you are loving this. You are looking your chops because you thought you were going to get a fresh Miami Heat. And now even if you do get the Miami Heat, you're going to get a worn down Miami. Whatever the spread is in game one, take Denver. I think Denver absolutely dominates in Game 1 up there in that altitude on Thursday night. And then Game 2, when they've been there for days and they get used to it, Boston or Miami, I think have a chance to win Game 2 in Denver. I would tell you that right here, right now. But now you may get Boston. And I'm telling you, I'm watching Boston and Miami. I actually think Miami, we talked about those 400 players that were absolutely incredible. I think Miami is actually, contrary to most people's belief, a little bit deeper than Boston. But Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo on their home court did not show what it mattered. And again, Bam Adebayo was a really good two. You know, he's the third or fourth best center in the Eastern Conference, right behind Jared Allen, Joel Embiid. But he did not show up last night. And Jimmy Butler, who for the first 14 games of the playoffs, obviously the five games against Milwaukee, the six games against the Knicks, the three games against the Boston Celtics, was absolutely incredible. He was a top five, the top three, some even put him top two or even number one of the best player in the NBA playoffs. The last three games, Jimmy Butler has completely disappeared, and it's why nobody puts Jimmy Butler on his on your current top-end list of NBA players. We give players their flowers when they do incredible things. I've been a very arch critic of Nikola Jokic. I gave him his flowers earlier in this segment. I have given Jimmy Butler his flowers since day one, way back in mid-April. At the start of these playoffs, I have to criticize Jimmy Butler because the last three games, he has not been that guy. And if the heat go down in the history books, it's on Eric Spolcher, who I think is a great coach, and I think it easily outcoach Joe Mazzulla in this series. If coaching does matter, at least a would bit in the NBA – Denver will win the NBA Finals over Boston strictly because I would take Mike Malone over Joe Missoula any day of the week. Miami, Denver is a little bit closer. I would probably still lead Denver, though that to me is a lot more closer series than people think because of Miami's death versus Denver's death. But at the end of the day, if Miami blows this for real we. It's on Spolstra, it's on Butler, it's on Bam, it's on Kyle Lowry, it's on everybody in that locker room. They should have wrapped it up in four Miami. They did not. uh, Credit to Boston. They did not give up uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Do they have one more magic trick in the hat to get them over in game seven? I do think they do. I think Boston wins it relatively between 10 and 15 points. I'm going to say 119 to like 104 tonight. Boston wins game seven. We get Boston-Denver in the NBA Finals. Patriots-Broncos, if you will, we've seen those battles. We've seen Red uh, Sox-Rockies in the World Series 2007. Celtics-Nuggets NBA Finals, I believe, is the direction we're heading. And I will preview that on Thursday. It's when you thought the bloodline story could not get any better. Here comes Roman Reigns. Here comes Soa Secoa. Here comes Jey Uso. Here comes that rat bastard Jimmy Uso. And here comes Paul Heyman. Ladies and gentlemen, we will get to that. But let me first start by saying night of champions. You know, you can criticize the Saudi Arabians and what they do, you know, there's golf over there. I know people don't watch that. I know, you know, many people obviously do not watch the Saudi Arabian premium live events that WB puts on. But over the last few years, ever since they started getting away from the gimmick of these events and really booking them more towards the story on television, these shows have been absolutely phenomenal. And this one was no different. This was one of the best premium live events WWE put on of the entire year. The first match of the night was to crown a new world heavyweight champion. And I know I did not make any predictions of this on the podcast. I think Josh Unger again for previewing this last week, but I know Josh is a huge Seth Rollins fan. Uh by the way, you can go check out what Josh talked about on my channel, and he did a video as well on his channel, Unger to the Max. Uh, where he also previewed AEW Double or Nothing, and I'm not the biggest fan of all weight wrestling. But I know Josh is a huge fan of all wrestling, and his favorite wrestler, or at least one of them, is Seth Rollins, who is the new World Heavyweight Champion. And this World Heavyweight Championship match was absolutely incredible between Seth Rollins and AJ Styles. These two men... Cannot have a bad match. The expectations going into this match was off the damn roof, and they absolutely delivered. I thought it was weird storytelling order where Rollins buckled the knee, uh, but it gave AJ Styles a vulnerability. It allowed AJ Styles to lock in the calf crusher and create a different element of matches that we have not seen from these two men. You could tell oh, they tried to act nervous. They tried to be more of a feeling out process. even though they knew each other for years. And WWE did a good job of the video package of explaining that. And explaining the importance and the prestigious of the World Heavyweight Championship. Between the champions before us and the champions now. Um, and I thought they did an absolute incredible job. Rollins. With the roll through on Styles and the cutter into the pedigree was one of the greatest counters I've ever seen. I thought it was perfect. AJ Styles delivering a pedigree to Rollins was absolute shock. But in the end, Seth Rollins was able to, was able to hit that curb stop. He's done delivered multiple times, uh, fighting for the pain of that knee injury to eventually put AJ Styles away. And with that classic handshake, From Triple H, remember, the Universal Championship in 2016, when Triple H tried to give the championship to Rollins, then he pedigreed him and gave the championship to Kevin Owens, is a new signal that with Triple H in charge nowadays in WWE, Seth Rollins is Triple H's kingpin of the Monday Night Raw division. And Seth Rollins is going to be defending the World Heavyweight Championship around the globe. But I would not be surprised if Seth Rollins defended that World Heavyweight Championship this coming Monday on Raw. Now, I did not think AJ Styles was going to win. I did not think they were going to move AJ over to Raw. I think AJ's got a lot to deal with on SmackDown. And I think a few with the Tribal Chief is coming But they did a good job of making me believe, especially when Rollins went for that one curb stomp and fell to his knee, where AJ pretty much took advantage. I thought that, you know, that could have been a sign that AJ was going to win. Uh, That was not the case. And by the way, before we get to the rest of the card, for those of you saying the World Heavyweight Championship feels like a secondary title because of Roman Reigns' two championships, I'm going to explain to you. The way that I interpret why the new World Heavyweight Championship, which is a beautiful belt, by the way, why it was created. Because Roman Reigns, in his contract as the travel chief, as the head of the table, as the undisputed WWE Universal Heavyweight Champion of the world, who reached day 1000 on Saturday at Night of Champions, essentially negotiated with the wise man. Uh, the special consul Paul oh, Amen in his new contract at the time of the WWE draft, the Roman would be exclusive to one brand. And because of this, USA Network complained, and USA Network said, We need a new world champion. So, Roman, you either drop the WWE or Universal Championship, or we create a new championship. So it is not a secondary title. It was created because of the dominance of the Tribal Chief. Next match, which was a better match than I had anticipated. I have not loved this Becky Lynch and Trish Stratus feud outside of the initial promo by Trish. I thought the contract segment the last week on Raw was a little iffy uh, before this match. But Trish Stratus, for the first time being in a one-on-one match, in four years since her second retirement match against Charlotte Flair at SummerSlam 2019 in Toronto. I guess you can have as many retirement matches uh, in wrestling more than any other sport, obviously. You know, it looks like Trish is trying to pull a Brett Favre out here. Uh, but they they had a very good match. Uh, physical, you know, told a lot of stories. But the biggest element of this match was Zoe Starks underneath the ring, obviously at the end of the match, attacking Becky Lynch giving her that finisher that looks like a GTS, uh, throwing Becky back into the ring, and it looks like Becky busted her nose, allowing Trish Stratus to hit the Stratus Faction, the DDT, the victory, and Trish Stratus mentoring a young Zoe Starks. You know, Trish cannot get in the ring every every month, and so Trish, either on camera and behind the scenes now, mentoring Zoe Starks, who WWE is clearly Putting Zoe Starks in a mini feud within the feud with Becky Lynch, whether you want to put both women in the Women's Money Bank ladder match or you want to do a one-on-one match at Money in the Bank, I'm fine by either. I think it elevates Zoe Starks and it puts off Becky Lynch versus Trish Stratus, too, till SummerSlam, when we will get a stipulation, I believe, added on to it. Uh, And we do get you know, Becky Lynch to finally go over and advance and move on to that feud. So, very good match. The next match, we had come there defending the Intercontinental Championship with a throwback in period of entrance against Mustafa Ali, which WWE did a good job trying to make people believe that Mustafa Ali could win the championship when he hit two of those 450 splashes. Michael Cole was saying it was going to be the miracle of the year, potentially the miracle of the century at this point. Uh, but nobody but nobody believed that that little boy, Ali, who then ended up getting dropped in the corner, power bound, and downed by the ring, General Gunther, uh, was going to win the Intercontinental Championship. Gunther was going to win this championship the old way. He was going to retain. Uh, Gunther is maybe the uh, number one heel on the Monday Night Raw roster. I think he has a lot more feuds you Know Riddle, a uh, Chad Gable, just to name a couple, Dolph Ziggler, even, um, you know, maybe somebody from, from NXT, a uh, Johnny Gargano, if Damaso Campa returns, but him. There are options for Gunther to continue this reign as Intercontinental Champion and is almost year long reign. It's funny because in WWE. We're not used to long championship reigns. Gunther's championship reign would be a much bigger deal if Roman Reigns didn't have like 700 and something days more than Gunther uh, as the Undisputed Champion. But that's just the way it goes. Sorry, Gunther. Uh, but I do think that WWE, and I've talked about this before, they're trying to update the history books. They already did with Bianca Boer. They're going to with Gunther, and they're trying to do so with Roman Reigns. who in about a month, will pass Pedro Morales for the fourth longest championship reign, world championship reign in WWE history, and it's the longest championship reign in 50 years. This next bout, I was surprised at the finish and the outcome. Asuka won the Raw Women's Championship from the EST Bianca Bauer and she did so by using the mist and putting it in her hand because Bianca Bauer had blocked the mist uh of Asuka before. Obviously, you know, Asuka's turned eel, she's used the mist to try to wind Bianca Bauer uh, on numerous occasions uh before this. But Bianca tonight was able to duck, but Asuka, who was down after that, smartly in the corner, put mist on her hand. And then when Bianca went for the KOD, Oscar was able to run that mist all over her eyes. A couple kicks to the back of the head, knock out Bianca Bauer. It protected the EST, who has been booked as one of the strongest women in WWE in the Triple H era, protected her from not having to submit, uh, protected her from looking very strong by not having it be a clean finish. But at the end of the day, Asuka wins the Raw Women's Championship, even though she is a SmackDown superstar. And I was thinking about this this morning. Io Sky had an incredible, incredible match with Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's Championship at Backlash. I think Io Sky, once she breaks away from Bayley and Damage Control, I think Io versus Asuka for the championship is on the table here at a wider date. The question now becomes, where does Bianca Belair go? Because Bianca Belair, ever since, you know, WrestleMania 37 has seemingly always been in the championship picture. You know, um, she was at one point the SmackDown Women's Champion and she pretty much owed that belt all the way to SummerSlam when Becky Lynch came out and surprised her. Uh, then Becky obviously beat her. Then she competed for the SmackDown Women's Championship. And then she ended up, uh, you know, eventually climbing all the way back to Becky and competing for the Raw Women's Championship. And she held that championship ever since. So Bianca's not used to being not in the championship picture for long. I wonder... If Bianca gets in the tag team division picture here, and we potentially could get Charlotte, who obviously was starting the SmackDown, comes back and they reunite the few Charlotte Asuka SummerSlam for the Raw Women's Championship. Now Natalya was allegedly trying to get Dominic Mysterio's number, according to Corey Graves. Uh, I was surprised that on her birthday, they booked Natty to get absolutely destroyed by Rhea Ripley in one minute, but it did make Rhea Ripley look very strong. And Dominic being that piece of crap that he is being that conniving heel was celebrating and laughing with his mummy. Um, you know, I saved this portion for the Ripley segment because there was obviously not, to not uh, you know, really anything to talk about with the match. But with Rhea Ripley being a a Raw superstar holding the SmackDown Women's Championship and with Asuka being a SmackDown superstar holding the Raw Women's Championship I do not think Triple H wants to do a title swap or I think he would have done it already could the Judgment Day be traded to Friday Night SmackDown for Asuka and potentially somebody else to Monday Night Raw, and that's the way you get the Judgment Day and the Mysterios and LWO on the same brand again, and then so you get Asuka back on the same brand on Monday Night Raw. You get her away from Bianca Belair. Um, You know, I think we all, and by the way, you get Rhea Ripley and Bianca Belair, who we all kind of think is the WrestleMania 40 main event potentially for a Women's Championship Do you get a Oscar? Raquel Rodriguez? Do you run back Asuka and Becky Lynch, who would then be the main star on Monday nights? And I think you take away a major star with Rhea Ripley, by the way, because I do think that SmackDown Women's division is way stronger than Raw's at this point. It was the complete opposite prior to the draft. It's just something to think about. Brock Lesnar and Cody Rhodes. We knew Cody Rhodes had the broken arm. We knew Cody Rhodes was not going to win this match. But, man, Cody Rhodes damned if he tried. And they made sure to tell the story that Cody Rhodes was using a cast made of titanium. Hitting Brock Lesnar in the face and Lesnar would not go down. Editing Lesnar with three cross and Lesnar would not go down. And Lesnar putting the Kimura lock on Cody and Cody refusing To tap out, instead, he had to pass out. And this was the story of two titanic bulls. There was a lot of concern out there, obviously, of people concerned that when Cody Rhodes lost the championship match to Roman Reigns at WrestleMania 39, he would still not be as over. Well, at Backlash, he defeated Brock Lesnar, and at Night of Champions, he looked like a million bucks, even in a losing effort against Brock Lesnar. And by the way, Lesnar without Paul Heyman by his side, this is really his first few without Paul Heyman being involved since you know God knows when. Yes, Bobby Lashley as well, uh, but. You know, Bobby was already continuing the feud, and that was more of a personal issue. This is more Lesnar taking it up on his own against Cody Rhodes, and they have had some tremendous matches. And I do think that Lesnar is not going to be in the Money in the Bank ladder match. I think he's going to cost Cody Rhodes the Money in the Bank ladder match, and we will get Lesnar versus Rhodes free with the stipulation whether there be no holds barred or a fight pit. Or something along those lines, uh, which I thought they were going to do at and, and the Champions actually, was the fight pit. We are watching to not go the stipulation route, save the stipulation route for Wesner Rhodes 3, SummerSlam, Detroit, Fort Michigan, August 5th. And then we get to the main event, which going in, I knew was going to be the main event. It was the rightful main event Roman Reigns, at Sakoa against Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Listen, Roman Reigns is one of the greatest heels of all time. Roman Reigns went from being a heel to being semi-cheered to being a complete bastard again, all over the Sami Zayn storyline. Roman Reigns, in my opinion, what did Sami Zayn as Roman said countless times from doing jackass shit to being a complete superstar in the WWE and it showed once again in this match. But obviously the story is all about, it's not even about the tag team championships it's all about Jimmy and Jay super kicking Sola Sokoa by accident, which is a huge part of it. Jimmy Uso did not want to super kick his brother, but he did want to superkick the trouble cheat because as he so elegantly said, Jay, this is something you should have done a long time ago. And really, the match was incredible. The storytelling was incredible. Roman Reigns being that guy to save the matchup multiple times because all Roman Reigns cares about is the Undisputed Championship. But when the Usos superkick Roman Reigns and Sammy and Kevin knew exactly what happened and they took advantage the stunner and the Hawuba kick to Solo Sokoa. Folks, Sami Zayn called it years ago, months ago, when he told Roman Reigns the bloodline is going to collapse from within. And it starts and ends with the Usos when Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens take their tag team championship. Because I think Sami and Kevin both realized Roman Reigns is almost unbeatable, one-on-one, for the undisputed Universal Championship. Even if Cody Rhodes does not get the job done, we have to get the job done in the main event of night one of WrestleMania. They did just that. And now, with this story, can you imagine Money in the Bank in London, July 1st? When the calendar flips to July of this year, Jimmy Uso challenging Roman Reigns, just like Jay did at Night of Champions, or I think it was, you know, uh, like like Clash of Champions or something like that. 2020 and LSL 2020, when Jimmy Uso was in that LSL, when he still had that torn ACL and Roman Reigns Put the guillotine on him and force Jimmy and force Jay to fall in line with the tribal chief. Three years later, around and around and around the sun, we come full circle. Roman Reigns versus Jimmy Uso. Money in the Bank, your main event for the undisputed WWE. Universal Heavyweight Championship with Jey Uso having to decide which side he's on. Jay accidentally super kicks Roman like Jimmy did, and then Jay super kicks him again. And instead of it being Jey Uso versus Roman Reigns at SummerSlam for the Undisputed Universal Championship, we can get that down the line. We can even get it back. Inside L in a cell. Down the line. You know at another premium live event. Your SummerSlam main event. Becomes Roman Reigns. And Solo Sokoa. Against Jay. And Jimmy Uso. No titles on the line. No nothing. And the Usos. Pin. Solo. Sokoa. And SummerSlam ends with Roman struggling, knowing his bloodline has collapsed. At this point, maybe Solo turns on Roman, or Roman turns on Solo. And Roman leaves SummerSlam, still the champion, but all alone. And then we get to eventually WrestleMania 40, where Cody Rhodes was right all on. Roman would be a tribal Without a Chief, Cody Rhodes, Roman Reigns too. if you can't get The Rock, you get Roman, Cody 2, the Undisputed Universal Championship, WrestleMania 40, and you decide on the winner at that point. But that's how I would book the long-term storyline of this incredible story that just continues to get better of cinema of the bloodline. Again, one of the best premium live events of the year. Thank you, WWE, for a phenomenal night of champions. Cannot wait for Money in the Bank. My prediction is the men's Money in the Bank wider match winner will be LA Knight. The woman's Money in the Bank wider match winner, I believe, and I'm not as strongly on the, on the women's as I am the men. It could be Raquel Rodriguez, who I think has a longer run combined with the woman's Money in the Bank. The last five winners. Have had obviously going back to 2018. That being Alexa Bliss cashing in the Money in the Bank woman's contract the next night. 2019 Bailey did it the same night. 2020 Asuka the next night. 2021 Nikki Ash the next night. 2022 Liv Morgan the same night at Money in the Bank. And that'll do it for this edition of Brain's World. Again, thank you guys so much for watching, And we will see you guys on Thursday when we preview the NBA Finals. Uh, eat.